Chapter forty six of the Old Curiosity Shop. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recorded by Mill Nicholson. The Old Curiosity Shop by Charles Dickens. Chapter forty six. It was the poor schoolmaster. No other than the poor schoolmaster. Scarcely less moved and surprised by the sight of the child than she had been on recognizing him. He stood for a moment, silent and confounded by this unexpected apparition, without even the presence of mind to raise her from the ground. But, quickly recovering his self-possession, he threw down his stick and book, and dropping on one knee beside her, endeavoured by such simple means as occurred to him to restore her to herself, while her grandfather, standing idly by, wrung his hands and implored her with many endearing expressions to speak to him, were it only a word. "'She is quite exhausted,' said the schoolmaster, glancing upward into his face. "'You have taxed her powers too far, friend.' "'She is perishing of want,' rejoined the old man. "'I never thought how weak and ill she was till now.' Casting a look upon him, half reproachful and half compassionate, the schoolmaster took the child in his arms and, bidding the old man gather up her little basket and follow him directly, bore her away at his utmost speed. There was a small inn within sight, to which, it would seem, he had been directing his steps when so unexpectedly overtaken. Towards this place he hurried with his unconscious burden, and rushing into the kitchen, and calling upon the company there assembled to make way for God's sake, deposited it on a chair before the fire. The company, who rose in confusion at the schoolmaster's entrance, did as people usually do under such circumstances. Everybody called for his or her favourite remedy, which nobody brought, each cried for more air, at the same time carefully excluding what air there was, by closing round the object of sympathy, and all wondered why somebody else didn't do whatever it never appeared to occur to them might be done by themselves. The landlady, however, who possessed more readiness and activity than any of them, and who had withal a quicker perception of the merits of the case, soon came running in with a little hot brandy and water, followed by her servant-girl, carrying vinegar, hartshorn, smelling salts, and such other restoratives, which, being duly administered, recovered the child so far as to enable her to thank them in a faint voice, and to extend her hand to the poor schoolmaster, who stood with an anxious face hard by without suffering her to speak another word or so much as to stir a finger any more the woman straightway carried her off to bed and having covered her up warm bathed her cold feet and wrapped them in flannel they dispatched a messenger for the doctor the doctor who was a red-nosed gentleman with a great bunch of seals dangling below a waistcoat of ribbed black satin arrived with all speed and taking his seat by the bedside of poor nell drew out his watch and felt her pulse then he looked at her tongue, then he felt her pulse again, and while he did so he eyed the half-empty wine-glass, as if in profound abstraction. "'I um, should give her,' said the doctor at length, "'a teaspoonful every now and then of hot brandy and water.' "'Why, that's exactly what we've done, sir,' said the delighted landlady. "'I should also,' observed the doctor, who had passed the foot-bath on the stairs, "'I should also,' 
said the doctor, in the voice of an oracle, put her feet in hot water, and wrap them up in flannel. I should likewise— said the doctor, with increased solemnity, "'Give her something light for supper. "'The wing of a roasted fowl now—' "'Why, goodness gracious me, sir, "'it's cooking at the kitchen fire this instant,' cried the landlady. "'And so indeed it was, "'for the schoolmaster had ordered it to be put down, "'and it was getting on so well "'that the doctor might have smelted if he had tried. "'Perhaps he did. "'You uh, may, then—' said the doctor, rising gravely. "'Give her a glass of uh, hot mulled port wine, if she likes wine.' "'And a toast, sir?' suggested the landlady. "'Aye,' said the doctor, in the tone of a man who makes a dignified concession. "'And uh, a toast of bread. But be very particular to make it of bread, if you please, ma'am.' With which parting injunction, slowly and portentously delivered, the doctor departed, leaving the whole house in admiration of that wisdom which tallied so closely with their own. Everybody said he was a very shrewd doctor indeed, and knew perfectly what people's constitutions were, which there appears some reason to suppose he did. While her supper was preparing, the child fell into a refreshing sleep, from which they were obliged to rouse her when it was ready. As she evinced extraordinary uneasiness on learning that her grandfather was below stairs, and as she was greatly troubled at the thought of their being apart, he took his supper with her. Finding her still very restless on this head, they made him up a bed in an inner room, to which he presently retired. The key of this chamber happened, by good fortune, to be on that side of the door which was in Nell's room. She turned it on him when the landlady had withdrawn, and crept to bed again with a thankful heart. The schoolmaster sat for a long time, smoking his pipe by the kitchen fire, which was now deserted, thinking, with a very happy face, on the fortunate chance which had brought him so opportunely to the child's assistance, and parrying as well in his simple way he could the inquisitive cross-examination of the landlady, who had a great curiosity to be made acquainted with every particular of Nell's life and history. The poor schoolmaster was so open-hearted, and so little versed in the most ordinary cunning or deceit, that she could not have failed to succeed in the first five minutes, but that he happened to be unacquainted with what she wished to know, and so he told her. The landlady, by no means satisfied with this assurance, which she considered an ingenious evasion of the question, rejoined that he had his reasons, of course. Heaven forbid that she should wish to pry into the affairs of her customers, which indeed were no business of hers, who had so many of her own. She had merely asked a civil question, and to be sure she knew it would meet with a civil answer. She was quite satisfied. Quite. She had rather, perhaps, that he would have said at once that he didn't choose to be communicative, because that would have been plain and intelligible. However, she had no right to be offended, of course. He was the best judge, and had a perfect right to say what he pleased. Nobody could dispute that for a moment. Oh, dear, no! "'I assure you, my good lady,' said the mild schoolmaster, "'that I have told you the plain truth. As I hope to be saved, I have told you the truth.' "'Why, then, I do believe you are in earnest.' rejoined the landlady, with ready good humour. "'And I'm very sorry I have teased you, but curiosity, you know, is the curse of our sex, and that's the fact.' 
The landlord scratched his head, as if he thought the curse sometimes involved the other sex likewise, but he was prevented from making any remark to that effect, if he had it in contemplation to do so, by the schoolmaster's rejoinder. "'You should question me for half a dozen hours at a sitting, and welcome, and I would answer you patiently for the kindness of heart you have shown to-night, if I could,' he said. "'As it is, please to take care of her in the morning, and let me know early how she is, and to understand that I am paymaster for the three. So, parting with them on most friendly terms, not the less cordial, perhaps, for this last direction, the schoolmaster went to his bed, and the host and hostess to theirs. The report in the morning was that the child was better, but was extremely weak, and would at least require a day's rest, and careful nursing, before she could proceed upon her journey. The schoolmaster received this communication with perfect cheerfulness, observing that he had a day to spare, two days for that matter, and could very well afford to wait. As the patient was to sit up in the evening, he appointed to visit her in her room at a certain hour, and rambling out with his book, did not return until the hour arrived. Nell could not help weeping when they were left alone, whereat, and at sight of her pale face and wasted figure, the simple schoolmaster shed a few tears himself, at the same time showing in very energetic language how foolish it was to do so, and how very easily it could be avoided, if one tried. "'It makes me unhappy, even in the midst of all this kindness,' said the child, "'to think that we should be a burden upon you. How can I ever thank you?' If I had not met you so far from home, I must have died, and he would have been left alone. "'We'll not talk about dying,' said the schoolmaster, "'and as to burdens, I have made my fortune since you slept at my cottage.' "'Indeed!' cried the child joyfully. "'Oh, yes,' returned her friend. "'I have been appointed—' clerk and schoolmaster to a village a long way from here and a long way from the old one as you may suppose at five and thirty pounds a year five and thirty pounds i am very glad said the child so very very glad i am on my way there now resumed the schoolmaster they allowed me the stage-coach hire outside stage-coach hire all the way bless you they grudge me nothing but as the time at which i am expected there left me ample leisure i determined to walk instead how glad i am to think i did so how glad should we be yes yes said the schoolmaster moving restlessly in his chair certainly that's very true but you where are you going where are you coming from what have you been doing since you left me what had you been doing before now tell me do tell me i know very little of the world and perhaps you are better fitted to advise me in its affairs than i am qualified to give advice to you but i am very sincere and i have a reason you have not forgotten it for loving you I have felt since that time as if my love for him who died had been transferred to you who stood beside his bed. If this, he added, looking upwards, is the beautiful creation that springs from ashes, 
let its peace prosper with me, as I deal tenderly and compassionately by this young child. The plain, frank kindness of the honest schoolmaster, the affectionate earnestness of his speech and manner, the truth which was stamped upon his every word and look, gave the child a confidence in him which the utmost arts of treachery and dissimulation could never have awakened in her breast. She told him all, that they had no friend or relative, that she had fled with the old man to save him from a madhouse and all the miseries he dreaded, that she was flying now to save him from himself, and that she sought an asylum in some remote and primitive place, where the temptation before which he fell would never enter, and her late sorrows and distresses could have no place. The schoolmaster heard her with astonishment. "'This child,' he thought, "'has this child heroically persevered under all doubts and dangers, struggled with poverty and suffering, upheld and sustained by strong affection, and the consciousness of rectitude alone. And yet the world is full of such heroism. Have I yet to learn that the hardest and best-born trials are those which are never chronicled in any earthly record, and are suffered every day? And should I be surprised to hear the story of this child?" What more he thought or said matters not. It was concluded that Nell and her grandfather should accompany him to the village whither he was bound, and that he should endeavour to find them some humble occupation by which they could subsist. "'We shall be sure to succeed,' said the schoolmaster heartily. "'The cause is too good a one to fail.' They arranged to proceed upon their journey next evening, as a stage-wagon, which travelled for some distance on the same road as they must take, would stop at the inn to change horses, and the driver for a small gratuity would give Nell a place inside. A bargain was soon struck when the wagon came, and in due time it rolled away, with the child comfortably bestowed among the softer packages, her grandfather and the schoolmaster walking on beside the driver, and the landlady and all the good folks of the inn screaming out their good wishes and farewells. What a soothing, luxurious, drowsy way of travelling, to lie inside that slowly moving mountain, listening to the tinkling of the horses' bells, the occasional smacking of the carter's whip, the smooth rolling of the great broad wheels, the rattle of the harness, the cheery good-nights of passing travellers, jogging past on little short-stepped horses, all made pleasantly indistinct by the thick awning, which seemed made for lazy listening under, till one fell asleep. The very going to sleep, still with an indistinct idea, as the head jogged to and fro upon the pillow, of moving onward with no trouble or fatigue, and hearing all these sounds like dreamy music, lulling to the senses, and the slow waking up and finding one's self staring out through the breezy curtain, half opened in the front, far up into the cold bright sky with its countless stars, and downward at the driver's lantern dancing on like its namesake, Jack of the Swamps and Marshes, and sideways at the dark grim trees, and forward at the long bare road rising up, 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 until it stopped abruptly at a sharp high ridge, as if there were no more road, and all beyond was sky, and the stopping at the inn to bait, and being helped out, 
and going into a room with fire and candles, and winking very much, and being agreeably reminded that the night was cold, and anxious for very comfort's sake to think it colder than it was. What a delicious journey was that journey in the wagon! Then the going on again, so fresh at first, and shortly afterwards so sleepy. The waking from a sound nap, as the mail came dashing past, like a highway comet, with gleaming lamps and rattling hooves, and visions of a guard behind, standing up to keep his feet warm, and of a gentleman in a fur cap, opening his eyes and looking wild and stupefied, the stopping at the turnpike, where the man was gone to bed, and knocking at the door until he answered with a smothered shout from under the bedclothes in the little room above, where the faint light was burning, and presently came down, night-capped and shivering, to throw the gate wide open, and wish all wagons off the road except by day. The cold, sharp interval between night and morning, the distant streak of light widening and spreading, and turning from grey to white, and from white to yellow, and from yellow to burning red, the presence of day, with all its cheerfulness and life, men and horses at the plough, birds in the trees and hedges, and boys in solitary fields, frightening them away with rattles. The coming to a town, people busy in the markets, light carts and chaises round the tavern-yard, tradesmen standing at their doors, men running horses up and down the street for sale, pigs plunging and grunting in the dirty distance, getting off with long strings at their legs, running into clean chemist shops and being dislodged with brooms by prentices, the night-coach changing horses, the passengers cheerless, cold, ugly, and discontented, with three months' growth of hair in one night, the coachman fresher from a bandbox, and exquisitely beautiful by contrast. So much bustle, so many things in motion, such a variety of incidents! When was there a journey with so many delights as that journey in the wagon? Sometimes walking for a mile or two while her grandfather rode inside, and sometimes even prevailing upon the schoolmaster to take her place and lie down to rest, Nell travelled on very happily, until they came to a large town, where the wagon stopped, and where they spent a night. They passed a large church, and in the streets were a number of old houses, built of a kind of earth or plaster, crossed and recrossed in a great many directions with black beams, which gave them a remarkable and very ancient look. The doors, too, were arched and low, some with oaken portals and quaint benches, where the former inhabitants had sat on summer evenings. The windows were latticed, in little diamond panes, that seemed to wink and blink upon the passengers as if they were dim of sight. They had long since got clear of the smoke and furnaces, except in one or two solitary instances, where a factory, planted among fields, withered the space about it like a burning mountain. When they had passed through this town, they entered again upon the country, and began to draw near their place of destination. It was not so near, however, but that they spent another night upon the road, not that their doing so was quite an act of necessity, but that the schoolmaster, when they approached within a few miles of his village, had a fidgety sense of his dignity as the new clerk, and was unwilling to make his entry in dusty shoes and travel-disordered dress. It was a fine, clear autumn morning, when they came upon the scene of his promotion, and stopped to contemplate its beauties. See, here's the church, cried the delighted schoolmaster, in a low voice, and that old building close beside it is the schoolhouse, I'll be sworn. Five and thirty pounds a year, in this beautiful place. They admired everything, 
the old grey porch, the mullioned windows, the venerable gravestones dotting the green churchyard, the ancient tower, the very weathercock, the brown thatched roofs of cottage, barn, and homestead, peeping from among the trees, the stream that rippled by the distant water-mill, the blue Welsh mountains far away. It was for such a spot the child had wearied in the dense, dark, miserable haunts of labour, upon her bed of ashes, and amidst the squalid horrors through which they had forced their way, visions of such scenes, beautiful indeed, but not more beautiful than this sweet reality, had been always present to her mind. They had seemed to melt into a dim and airy distance, as the prospect of ever beholding them again grew fainter, but, as they receded, she had loved and panted for them more. "'I must leave you somewhere for a few minutes,' said the schoolmaster, at length breaking the silence into which they had fallen in their gladness. "'I have a letter to present, and inquiries to make, you know. Uh, where shall I take you? To the little inn yonder?' "'Let us wait here,' rejoined Nell. "'The gate is open. We will sit in the church porch till you come back.' "'A good place, too,' said the schoolmaster, leading the way towards it, disencumbering himself of his portmanteau, and placing it on the stone seat. "'Be sure that I come back with good news, and am not long gone.' So the happy schoolmaster put on a brand-new pair of gloves, which he had carried in a little parcel in his pocket all the way, and hurried off, full of ardour and excitement. The child watched him from the porch, until the intervening foliage hid him from her view, and then stepped softly out into the old churchyard, so solemn and quiet that every rustle of her dress upon the fallen leaves which strewed the path and made her footsteps noiseless, seemed an invasion of its silence. It was a very aged, ghostly place. The church had been built many hundreds of years ago, and had once had a convent or monastery attached for arches in ruins, remains of oriel windows, and fragments of blackened walls were yet standing. While other portions of the old building, which had crumbled away and fallen down, were mingled with the churchyard earth, and overgrown with grass, as if they too claimed a burying-place, and sought to mix their ashes with the dust of men. Hard by these gravestones of dead years, and forming a part of the ruin which some pains had been taken to render habitable in modern times, were two small dwellings with sunken windows and oaken doors, fast hastening to decay, empty and desolate. Upon these tenements the attention of the child became exclusively riveted. She knew not why. The church, the ruin, the antiquated graves, had equal claims at least upon the stranger's thoughts, but from the moment when her eyes first rested on these two dwellings she could turn to nothing else. Even when she had made the circuit of the enclosure, and, returning to the porch, sat pensively waiting for their friend, she took her station where she could still look upon them, and felt as if fascinated towards that spot. End of chapter 46